You know, uh, when I was a new believer, I uh, started reading through the Bible. And uh, I got to uh, Exodus chapter 33. Do you have your Bible? Take your Bible and go there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 7, but I wanted us to kind of build up to that. In uh, Exodus chapter 33, and when I started in ministry, uh, they didn't pay very much. And so I couldn't rent or buy a house close to the church I was serving at. And so I just kept on driving out south. And I found a farmhouse down south, 24547 LaGrange, something like that, out in Green Garden area. And uh, I saw a for sale sign on the front yard. And so I went up to the homeowner and I said, you know, uh, um, I just started at a church here and I noticed a for sale sign and I was wondering if you would be willing to rent it. And she said, well, come on in and take a look. And so we walked around the house. She had chickens in her attic. And so you know what that does. And she had chickens in her back patio or enclosed back porch area. And you know what that did. But I walked through the house and I said, oh, this is a nice little, great little place. And she said, you're the first person who ever came in here and appreciated this place. And she said, would $3.50 a month be too much? I said, well, that'd be all right. And it was probably about the only thing I could afford. And uh, I was reading this passage in Exodus chapter 33, and I took an old couch. It had milk houses out there and old barns that were leaning over into a tree, and they had another chicken coop that was all filled with junk. It was on 100 acres. And so I, I found an old couch, and I took the old couch out to the back of the uh, uh, chicken, or the milk house, where they would, they would cool milk in those big metal jugs, you know what I'm talking about? You city slickers like me, would, I, I had to be taught what that was. And I would set it, and that became my tent of meeting from Exodus 33. And I would go out there for hours, and I would just seek the Lord, and, and you look over the fields out there where he had planted soybeans and corn, and at night, when the night was coming, the uh, lightning bugs would just flood the, the area there, and I just uh, had my experience with God there, and he would speak to me. And that's what, happened, that's what I got from Exodus chapter 33. Do you have your Bible? Turn it on or open it to Exodus 33, starting in verse 9. When, Mo when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people, Moses would go into that tent, all the people would get out of their, their tents, and it says, when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship. Wow, I like that first of all. When God shows up, we worship. 
And so, each at his tent door, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow, Moses was the friend of God. You know, in John chapter 15, it says, I call you no more servants, but friends. God calls us his friends. When Moses turned again into the camp, notice his, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun. I think he had parents, but it's just the, the son of Nun. A few of you are tracking with me, you know, a few, few of you are tracking. A young man would not depart from the tent. So Joshua was committed. Joshua was like the, the, the Moses in training. Moses said to the Lord, now here it is, Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people. You see, God had called Moses and is assigning him. He said, you said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, now listen to this. If I have found favor in your sight, what does he ask him? Please show me now your ways. Lord, show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. <clears throat> Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Wow, if God's presence doesn't go with us, there's no need to go. If God's not there with us, if, if he shows us his ways, yet we need his presence, right? And if your presence doesn't go with us, don't show us. And uh, he said, this very thing, verse 17 this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. So here Moses says, show me your ways. Then he says, may your presence go with us. And God keeps saying yes to him. And then he's bold enough to say, wow, I even want more. Show me your glory. Why he, was, he wasn't satisfied just with that. Show me more. Give me more. We want more. Show me your glory. And I think when we ask great things in God's name, that honors him. And he wants to work among us more than we want him to work among us. And so, so God has given us a vision. You know, Pastor Ryan did the last week of, uh, of last week in Bible Institute, 
And he said, wouldn't it be exciting to live in the days of Moses? You know, I remember Charleston Heston's Ten Commandment movie. I was impressed just with that. You know, especially the splitting of the sea, you know, the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's armies got in there. He said, wouldn't it have been exciting to be in the days of Moses? Of Moses? You know, like he was Israel's, one of Israel's heroes. But compared to Moses, do you know who's greater than Moses? Well, that, of course, but John the Baptist, right? He said, there's none like John the Baptist. There's none like John the Baptist. But John the Baptist was still Old Testament. John the Baptist didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And yet, they say, the Bible says that we can do even greater things than that. Do we expect God to do great things among us? Do we expect God to show us his ways? Do we expect God's presence to go with us? Do we expect God to do great things in our midst to show us his glory? A.W. Tozer calls, he wrote a book, Rot, Rut, a Revival. And he said the problem in the church today is the, the enemy of the church today is not liberalism. He said the, the, the uh, enemy of the church today is, is not communism. It's not the government. The biggest danger in the church is comfort. That we get comfortable. We get used to it. We, there's nothing new and exciting and bold and vibrant in the church. We expect when the offering will be taken, what the songs will be sang, then there will be a sermon, then there will you know, be an invitation to come down to the front. And from week to week, it kind of goes on the same thing. And we don't really come to church expecting things to happen. Expecting God to show up. Some preachers went to Spurgeon and said, um, you know, you preach and people get saved. And he said, why can't we preach like that and people get saved? Well, he said, well, do you expect people to get saved every week? And they said, well, no. And he said, well, that's why it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. He had people down in, underneath his church, his pulpit, that would be praying for him during his sermons. He could open up the trap door and see him down there praying. You know, that great revival that seems to be happening in, was it Asbury? something most revivals have happened through young people on college campuses young people get bold and they start seeking god and praying something happens to us when we get old er <laughs> we stop really believing god's going to do great things we lose our energy Father Lawrence, you probably read his story. Father Lawrence was a prayer warrior. Before revivals came, he would get there and be praying over the town. And God would send revivals. Practice the presence of God was his title of his book. I'd encourage you to read it. And so God wants to work among us. God is at work to this very day. John chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, John 5, 17 to 19. It says, Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. 
This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. They saw, Jesus saw what the Father was doing. You see, I don't think it's up to us to plan events and things. I think we need to be seeing where is God working. And not only was God working in the life of Moses, but God wants to work in your life. He wants to work in my life. Yeah, there's only so many Moses, one, only one. And there's only so many. Everybody's got their role. But it's just not the pastor's role, the missionary's role, the Sunday, or do we even have Sunday school classes anymore in the world? Small groups. We like small groups. We believe in small groups. So you can spend time discussing God's word and firing each other up and holding each other accountable and praying for one another. But it's not just those small group leaders that God wants to work in. He wants to work in your life. And he is working around you. I should call up my wife to share her testimony. She was praying for God to work and to see what God was doing. And... Uh, I'll probably not get all the details right. But ultimately, uh, she was in church and she was up at the front being ready to pray and didn't seem like God was sending anybody. So she noticed somebody in, in the crowd and went there and prayed with them. And it was amazing how God was working in the people that she was praying with. And right away she gave glory to God. So do we think it has to be a big thing? Everything that God is doing is big thing. And he's working around you at your work, at the gas station, in your home, with your family. He's working to this very day. So let's go to Acts chapter 7. Now get some points in here and then I can uh, let you go. In about an hour and a half. I don't get too many dimes to preach here, so i got to get it all in. You know. All right, so chapter 7, starting in verse 30. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. Now, it might seem like time has gone on and what's God been doing in 40 years? So, one thing we can see is God knows what's going on around us. Did you know that God never learned anything? Yeah, God never learned anything. He doesn't have to go to Bible Institute. He doesn't have to sit in a seminary. God never, never, never learned anything. Because think about that. God knows everything. He knows every single thing. 
He knows what's going on around us, and he is always, point number one, he is always at work. God is always at work. Verse 30. He appeared to him, an angel, the angel appeared to him in the wilderness. God's at work. Notice what he says. Uh, I am, verse 32, <clears throat> I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet. For the place you are standing is holy ground. Now notice what he says. Verse 34. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. So God sees. He sees what's going on in your life. He sees what's happening around you. He knows where you are, he knows what you're doing, he knows your availability, he sees what's going on. Notice what he says, I have heard their groaning. God hears. Your prayers are heard. Daniel prayed to the Lord and it took 30 days for that prayer to be answered because there was warfare in heaven. God hears your prayers. It might not seem it. It might seem like they're only hitting the ceiling. But God hears their prayers. Now, he doesn't always act. It took them 40 years. They were praying. They were crying out to God. And God heard them. But he doesn't always answer right away. It was like Elijah, when Elijah was just finishing on Mount Carmel, and he, he prayed, it says, seven times. And earlier in the chapter, it says that God told Elijah what, it was gonna, what he was going to do. And he still prayed about it. And he prayed seven times. And God said he was going to send rain. And he kept on praying. And he would send his servant, go see if there's rain clouds. There was no rain clouds. He prayed again, sent a servant, no rain clouds. Seven times he prayed and sent the servant. Finally, the servant comes back and says, I see a rain cloud the size of a man's fist. So how far away was that in the, world, in the distance? He saw the cloud the size of a fist. And Elijah knew God was going to send rain, and he ran he knew the answer was coming. He ran and he outran Jehu's chariot. That's almost like the roadrunner or something. You know, you're there, you're riding your chariot, and all of a sudden this guy goes flying by. Whoa, who was that guy? Man, that was Elijah. He was outrunning the chariot. And so God sees, God hears, and he acts. I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their groaning. And I've come down to deliver them. God does act. And so he sees, he hears, and he acts. But he's not on our schedule. And so, but he does want to use you. He invites you to join him. He's going to invite you to join him in what he's doing around you. But you know what he has to do first? He has to get your attention. 
We get preoccupied. We get busy. We're not even asking. We're not even looking. And yet God is at work all around us. And he's looking for people to join him. Now, it might not be leading the people out of Egypt, but God wants to reach people around you in your sphere of influence. And notice what he says. I've come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you. So God wants to send you. He wants to send me. That sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? It, He might not send you to somewhere to be a missionary. He might not send you to Iraq. But you know what? You are the safest in the center of God's will. If God sends you to Iraq, his presence will go with you. You will be immortal until God is done with you. And he will use you there. Are you willing? I know of a pastor that he felt God was calling him to be a missionary in Mexico. He fought it. He had a church. Church was doing well. And uh, the Lord kept speaking to him on it. Finally, he surrendered and said, okay, Lord, I'll go. I'll go to, but the Lord never sent him. He was just checking to see if he was willing or not. Are you willing? Are you willing to go wherever God sends you? Are you saying, okay, Lord, I'll go there, but I won't go there. I'll do this, but I won't do that. You know, you got to give God the blank sheet of paper, sign the bottom, and say, God, whatever you put on that paper, I'll do that. Whatever you put on there. He's not the author of confusion. And so, he tells Moses, I will send you. And so, he got his attention. Moses was invited to join God in what he had planned for centuries. You know, God has already got everything worked out. You know, the world's not falling apart, I want to promise you. The world is falling right into place. Right into God's plan. He is sovereign. He is in complete control. He knows what's going on. He's not startled. He's not shocked. He's not, oh, they're doing that. He knows everything. Everything is falling right into place. And he invites us to participate in what he's doing. Notice in verse 36... He starts talking about, uh, this is Stephen here, this man, talking about Moses, Stephen says, this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And yet, Moses was broken. Moses was a broken man. He spent 40 years in Egypt under Pharaoh's teaching. Got the best education in Egypt. But then he tried to take things into his own hands... And he murdered an Egyptian, and as a result, he had to go out into the wilderness for 40 
years. It seemed like he was in a desert. He seemed like he was put on the shelf. He seemed like God wasn't going to use him. He was a broken man, and God gets attention of the broken men and women, and he speaks to them, and he invites them. As they get right with God, he invites them to join him in his work. So the lesson out of this, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter how you've fallen short, no matter what sin came into your life, God is still speaking to you and God wants to use you and God will get your attention and God will continue to use you. My biggest danger and fear in my life that I would become a castaway, that I would become unusable to God. And yet God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, the thousandth chance. God uses people and he uses you and he'll use me. He just wants to get our attention and he wants us to turn to him. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, I spoke about this a couple months ago or a month ago or whatever it was that the importance of the Holy Spirit. See, we have far more advantage than Moses, than John the Baptist. We have the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit plus one is a majority. Right? If you're filled with the Spirit, there's nothing that you can't do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what happens is, God wants to use us, he invites us, and notice in verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him. They thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights without water or food. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing, what? In the works of their own hands. Their works of their own hands became more important than the things of God and the things that God was doing. That's a problem in our country. We worship the things of our own hands, our own efforts, our own work, our own uh, agendas, and it's God's agenda that he wants us to follow. That's where the real blessing in our lives comes from. And so we come, the principle is, we come to a crisis of belief. Moses had a crisis of belief. I'm going to send you. Moses had to decide, am I going to obey God? He tried to make excuses. I'm not a good speaker. Oh, you know, all these, he had like four excuses. And finally, he got honest with himself and said, just send somebody else. At least he was honest. So God gets our attention. He speaks to us. He invites us to join him in his work. And then there's a crisis of belief. Am I going to reject? Or am I going to accept? And throughout the Bible, many people have rejected God's call. What will you do? If God begins to speak to you about something he wants you 
to do. Will you join him in his work? You know, God doesn't need any of us. God doesn't need anything. But God invites us to join him. The blessing is ours. To think that we're fellow workers with God, he invites us to join him. And we come to a crisis of belief. Am I going to say yes to God or am I going to say no? Many will say no. But we have a vision. We want to reach a half a million people. You know, we won't save anybody. God does the saving. He tells us to be witnesses. God will speak to you if you're seeking him and say, give that person an invite. Will you obey or will you reject? God will put a thought into your mind. Talk to so-and-so. Invite so-and-so. Will you obey or will you reject? God will find people who will say yes to him. And so he invited the Israelites. They refused to obey. Will you join God in participating in our vision, in the vision that God has given the elders? Will you participate in what God is doing? He's given us a vision. 500,000 people in 1,000 days. And then for us on the inside, so we're effective and the Spirit of God can work through us, He wants us to be healthy. And He wants us to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And God uses holy, surrendered people. And will we remain, remain humble? I think we have a good head start on that. There's no pride in our church. I have it all. So I'm working on that. So we can be all humble before the Lord. So that's the vision God has given to us. We want God to be free to work in our lives. And so we have to humble ourselves. We have to be healthy. We have to be in small groups. We have to be reading our Bibles. We have to be praying. We have to be seeking his face. And no doubt God confirms his work. Verse 54. When they heard these things, Stephen is preaching to them, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. I always wondered what that was like. The dentist must have been happy. They're grinding their teeth. What is that? How does that work? I don't know how that works. But the people were so upset at that vision of what was going on, that Moses leading them, that they ground their, there will be opposition. As soon as you start doing anything for God, there is opposition. And so there was, and to me, that's a confirmation. It's a confirmation that God's at work. If we never find any opposition from the devil, or, then we're not doing anything for God. Uh, what's his name? Um, from Brooklyn Tabernacle, Jim Cimbala. Uh, reaching all kinds of people in Brooklyn. 
Brooklyn Tabernacle. You've probably heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And maybe I mentioned this to you before, but he preached a sermon on the baby is under attack. As soon as something is born, as soon as you're born again, just know that the devil's going to come against you. Here, uh, God is working. They've turned Jerusalem upside down. They took note that these people had been with Jesus. And then the opposition came. The opposition came from persecution from without and sin from within. But the devil doesn't give up. You might as well just be ready. The more we do for God, the more the devil is going to attack us. He does not like when the church is on its knees. He does not like it when the church is preaching about Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus. The devil doesn't like it. And you will come under attack. So the outside, those that are opposed, will gnash their teeth and and all that. But the church... What did Stephen say? Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out even louder. The battle became more intense. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Wow, what if the persecution got so great that they started stoning the people in the church? What does it take? You can tell a man not You can tell a man by what it takes to discourage him. And the devil is looking how he can discourage you. And so, from outside, from those who reject, they will become... I tell people, they say, pray for my my loved one, my spouse. They don't know the Lord. And I usually tell them, just get ready because it'll probably get worse before it gets better. Because as soon as you're trying to share the love of Jesus, the devil gets to working. You're hoping, oh, God's going to do some great things and open their eyes. No, it's usually a battle. It's going to be a battle first. But you know what? Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. I've read the last chapter. You guys read the last chapter? Yeah. We win. God wins. You know, We will ride with the armies of heaven... Uh, there's a song out there from uh, Brownsville Revival, and uh, we will ride, and we will ride with him. I don't think we're going to have to fight, because out of his mouth comes a sword, and his hand is a sword, and I don't think we're going to have to fight. I don't think he would have his bride fighting in that last day battle, but there is a fight now. There is a battle going on now. That's why we put on the armor of God. And he equips us to do the battle here. But in those days, Jesus is going to fight. And he fights for us today. Will you ride with him? Will you ride today with him? Will you put on the armor of God? Will you seek God and what he's doing around you? Will you seek to be healthy? A big church isn't better. A little church isn't better. A better church is better. Let's be healthy. It's going to take you seeking the Lord, spending time in prayer, growing in your faith, coming to Bible Institute or going to a small group or studying. There's all kinds of things online that you can study. 
It's much better to study in a group. It's much better to iron sharpens iron. Will you seek to be healthy? Will you seek to be holy? Will you say, Lord, reveal anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? Will you be humble? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You know what? We can't afford God to resist us. We need God's grace. We need God's favor. We need God's help. We need God's power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So God invited Moses to do his work. There was a crisis of belief. He, uh, but God confirms it. God confirms his invitation. And he uses us in spite of the battle around us. Let's pray. Father, you're a good father. Your mercies are new every morning. Great, 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 great is your faithfulness. You are the general of your army. You lead your people, yes, into battle, but you go before us. We are living in exciting days. You are at work around us. You are inviting Anchor Church to join you in your work. You, Father, are bringing us to a crisis of belief. Will we say yes to you? Lord, we acknowledge our need for your presence to go with us. We can do nothing without you. We can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. We humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we say our plans amount to nothing. But your plans are perfect. You are right in all you do. You have chosen the exact times and the exact places of our habitation. You placed us in this place in the Chicagoland area at this time in history, 2023. You have joined us together. You have brought us together as a body here and you're giving us a vision. Why? Because you love people. You so love the world that you gave your only begotten son. And we are fellow workers with you. Lord, help us not to get in the rut of the routine, the rut of the comfortable. Help us, Father, to see with spiritual eyes, to hear with spiritual ears, and to act. Help us, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with vision. Fill us, Lord, with a hunger for you to be healthy and holy and humble. Help us, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. You're a good God. We trust you, Lord. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. I think the Lord is asking us as we prepare ourselves for our vision, who will go with us? Who will, whom can I send? Who will go with us? And maybe we don't even know. Maybe we don't even know yet what God wants us to do. What your role is. But I think God is asking us as a body, are we willing? Are you willing to say yes to God? If you're willing, we're going to stand and sing. Let everybody stand. Let's all stand. We're going to stand and sing. If you're willing, I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to ask you to step out of your chair and come down to the altar. Nobody necessarily will talk to you. And just in a show of, of agreement with the Lord to tell him, I accept whatever assignment you send me into. Would you just come acknowledge that to the Lord? Take maybe 10 seconds and just tell the Lord you are willing, whatever it might be, as we sing. Maybe there's going to be nobody standing to sing. <laughs>